a couple weeks ago with Solomon's life. Because with Solomon's life here, it does not end well. For you know that have studied out Ecclesiastes, you've studied out the book of 1 Kings. Solomon, at the end of his life, his heart turns away from the Lord. He starts out so good, on fire for the Lord, building the temple, wisest man that's ever lived. But you're going to see what happens here. And what you see happening tonight is you see a compromise in a spiritual life and you see a lack of focus. And guys, it has not changed in 3,000 years. When we compromise and we have a lack of focus on the Lord, we will run into the same problems that Solomon ran into. So let's talk about the first part here, lack of focus. Verse 1, 2 Chronicles 8, It came to pass at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the house of the Lord in his own house, that the cities which Haram had given to Solomon, Solomon built them and he settled the children of Israel there. Solomon went to Hamath, Zobiah, and seized it. He also built Tadmor in the wilderness and all the storage cities which he built in Hamath. He built Upper Beth Haran and Lower Beth Haran, fortified cities with walls, gates, and bars. In Balath and all the storage cities Solomon had. And all the chariot cities and the cities of the Calvary and all that Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and all the land of his domination. Now, that may not mean a lot to you, but I want you to focus on just some key words right here. Verse 1, he finishes building the house of the Lord. Amen. That was God's vision. That's what God gave him to do. What's he do with the rest of his life? Verse 2, he's building more cities. Verse 4, he's building more cities and storage things. Verse 5, he's fortifying cities. And verse 6, he's building more cities. What's his focus? His focus is on building his own kingdom. Now, same thing happens to us today. You can do one of two things in your life. Assuming you're here tonight, assuming you're born again and saved, your efforts every day of your life are either building the kingdom of God up or you're building your own little kingdom. And now the problem is we like to be the little kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. And we like to build our own little kingdoms and make our own little kingdoms look good and great and fun and exciting. But the problem with spending all your time and energy building your own kingdom is you never, ever win. Because guess what? Somebody's already got a better kingdom than you. You can never have the best kingdom. Somebody will always have a better kingdom than you. I remember one time here at a pastor's conference, they told us, pastors, never compare yourself to another pastor or church. You know why? Number one, you'll walk away prideful because you think your church is better than theirs. Or number two, you'll walk away defeated because you'll think that their church is better than yours. You can't win. You will never win with any type of comparison or building your own kingdom. That's why the Lord is constantly telling us to let go of you. Let go of what you want and just focus on Him. And once you do that, it's so freeing. I don't have to worry about me. I don't have to worry about what people think about me. I don't have to worry about the church. I don't have to worry about anything. I just have to worry about representing Jesus Christ to a dying world. And then when you get that focus, all of a sudden you start realizing this is what ministry is. It's not about building my house, my kingdom. It's about representing Christ to a dying world. Now, the problem is building kingdoms, it's kind of fun, isn't it? Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. See, the thing about building a kingdom, there's always one more thing you can build. See, with Solomon, there's one more town he can build up. See, in in our world, there's always one more thing you can get. You can just, one more thing you can get. If, If Dawn ever says that she has to run to Walmart, all seven of the kids want to go to Walmart. I'll ask them, what do you want to get at Walmart? Nothing. Well, then why do you want to go to Walmart? We just want to look. 
Isn't that the truth? We just want to look. The kids will at home, hey, Dad, can I get on Amazon? Why? I just want to look stuff up. That's what we like to do. We just like to look. The kids get some of these little sets, and you're playing a game, and you're playing the game, and you always need one more piece, right? You just need one more thing. Well, Solomon is the king, no pun intended, of building your own kingdom. And guess what he says in Ecclesiastes? Check out Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting verse 3. I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under the heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses. We just read that. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and the providences. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eye desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward for my labor. Then I looked at all the works that my hands had done and all the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind there was no profit under the sun okay when we started our study in chronicles a couple months ago we kept going back to the passage in romans excuse me corinthians where paul said these people are given to us as examples examples of what to do and also examples of what not to do i do not understand this every generation has to learn this the hard way you will never find satisfaction in things Solomon is the king of having anything you could want. 700 wives, 300 concubines, every type of house, every type of servant, every type of possession, anything you can want. And what does he say in verse 11? I looked in all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. Indeed, all was vanity and the grasping for wind. There was no profit under the sun. He goes on in Ecclesiastes and says, guess what? You build all these kingdoms and you die. And then what happens? Somebody else gets them. I hope that's a straightforward enough point because the truth of the matter is there's always the allure of getting one more thing. And when you get that one more thing, it's never going to be as satisfactory as you want. I got just one quick verse I want to leave up here. Dustin, can you put this verse up real quick? This verse just kind of sums up everything we're talking about. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. They're never satisfied, right? I mean, haven't you been that way? I can think of numerous examples, numerous examples in my life. I remember when Dawn and I built our house, built our dream house, moved into our dream house. A couple months later, driving by someone else's house, and I, boy, that's really nice. You get that vehicle that you've been waiting for and loving, you drive it home, and next thing you know, you're looking at car lots just a couple weeks later. There's always just one more thing. And Solomon is the greatest example of you can build and build and build, but your focus can be off and you'll never find any satisfaction in any way whatsoever. Our first point tonight is when you get your focus off and you work on building your kingdom instead of building the kingdom of the Lord, you're going to end up just like Solomon. It's all going to be vanity. And once you get your focus off, next thing you start doing is compromising spiritually. Look at verse 7. 
All the people, back in Second Chronicles 8, all the people who were left of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who were not of Israel, that is, their descendants who were left in the land after them, who the children of Israel did not destroy, from these Solomon raised forced labor, as it is to this day. See, all those people were supposed to be wiped out. But what happened? Compromise. Listen, if you're building all these cities, what do you need to build all these cities? You need manual labor, Right? So why would we take out the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hizvites, the Jebusites? Use them. That's compromise. Well, it's not that big a deal, right? It's not that big a deal. It's kind of like the movie. They only say a couple of those words. They only show a couple of those things. It's really not that big a deal. These guys were supposed to be wiped out because what they are is a picture of sin. And by keeping them, it's basically saying, I have a couple closets in my spiritual life that I'm going to keep that sin locked up. Don't worry, I won't let it control me. I'm just going to keep it back there. Why? I don't know. Save it for a rainy day. So these guys should have been destroyed and said they were kept as forced labor. And guess what happens when you keep that sin locked up? Sin never just sits still. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You leave a little bit of sin in your life, it's just going to keep expanding and expanding and expanding, and eventually it's going to take over everything. Verse 9, Solomon did not make the children of Israel servants for his work. Some were men of war, captains of his officers, captains of his chariots and his cavalry. Well, this see, Solomon did good. He didn't make the Israelites work. He made them work. You remember when King Saul decided not to obey God but go his own way? And he was going to sacrifice all the good animals to the Lord rather than kill them. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Saul was going to do that. What did Samuel do? Samuel showed up and said, listen, Saul, God would rather have obedience than sacrifice. Same thing still applies for us today. God wants obedience. He wants our heart. Solomon should have obeyed. Verse 10, and others were chief of the offices of the king Solomon, 250 who ruled over the people. Now Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh up from the city of David to the house he had built for her. For he said, my wife should not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. Then Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord and the altar of the Lord, which he had built before the vestibule. What do you see now happening more? More compromise. I'm going to start marrying foreign women. A big no-no. Because they bring their foreign gods with them. So I'm going to start marrying these foreign women. But you know what I'm going to do with these foreign women? I'm not going to let them anywhere near the temple. Oh, because that would be bad. I'm going to keep the foreign idol women away from the temple. And guess what I'm going to do in verse 12? I'm going to keep on offering my own sacrifices to the Lord. Keep your hand here in Second Chronicles 8. Go with me real quick to Romans 8. Go with me real quick to Romans 8. As you're going to Romans 8, listen to the first king's account of Solomon's life here at the end. King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidians, and Hittites, from the nation of which the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely you will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. What did we just read right there? Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. A thousand women and still not satisfied. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God 
as was the heart of his father David. He got his focus off, started building up his own kingdom, which led to compromise. He kept nations around that shouldn't have been left around. He started intermarrying with other women, which led to compromise, which led to his heart going away. What do we see here in Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8, go ahead and start here in verse 5 with me. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Simple question to ask yourself. What do you think about all day? Just what do you think about? Is it the things of the flesh or is it the things of the Spirit? See, when I think about the things of the flesh, that shows that I'm living according to the flesh. When I think about the things of the Spirit, it means I'm living according to the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded, to be fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. How's this for the most amazing spiritual point you've ever heard in your life? If I keep my mind on the Lord, my day just goes better. It just does. If I get up in the morning and I start out in prayer and in the Word, my day just goes better. Now, what I mean by going better, I don't mean like finding pots of gold going better. There's just joy. There's peace. That's what it says. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. There is a peace in my home. There's a peace with my wife. There's a peace with my kids. There's a peace in ministry. It does not mean it goes perfect. But I got my mind where it's supposed to be. I can also start my day out in the flesh. When I get up in the morning, first thing I do, glasses go on my head. I can't see a single thing without them. After I get my glasses on my head, I start checking things. Emails, phone calls, etc., texts, whatever. Now I've realized I can't start with that. i got to start with the Lord. So I grab, and I'm going to start either with one of two things. I'm either going to check headlines, weather, did the world fall apart overnight? Or I'm going to start out with devotions in the Lord. I'm telling you right now, if I start out with devotions in the Lord, the day goes better. And you know what I find out? This is for me personally. I'm not pushing anything. If I start out with devotions in the Lord, I no longer care what the headlines were. Because the world just doesn't matter. I already know the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I already know that. Why do I need to be confirmed by that every day? And I'll be honest, I still check the weather. But I don't worry about the headlines. Because my focus is spiritual. It's to be spiritually minded. But if I don't start out that way, I'm already starting behind. I know I am. And this is exactly what Romans is saying. Look at verse 7 of Romans 8. Because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is enmity, fighting against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What do we see here in 2 Chronicles 8? We see Solomon trying to have the best of both worlds. I got my foreign wives, and I'm collecting them. I'm going to eventually get up to the full set of a thousand. But I'm going to keep them far away from the temple because I'm a good, godly man. So I'm going to leave my foreign wives and my foreign idols all the way over there. Excuse me, I'm going to go offer some sacrifices to Jehovah. I'll be right back. Then he's going to go right back to his wives. Excuse me, wives, I have to go sacrifice offices to Jehovah and go back. No, you can't. That is just a, that is unstable. In fact, that's what it says in James chapter 1. A man that lives that way is unstable in all of his ways. And this is exactly what you see going on here with Solomon. There's another example in the Bible of this. If you want to study it out some more yourself, get a chance to go check out Samson. He was the exact same way. Hey, I'm going to go hook up with a Philistine prostitute. But now I'm going to go fight battles for the Lord. 
And it's just this back and forth between the flesh and the spirit. And eventually it has to reach a time and a place where you stop and you say, Lord, what is my focus going to be? Is it really going to be on you and you alone? Or is my focus going to be on me? And if you want to live for you, you can go out and build your own kingdoms. You can make the compromises. And I'm telling you, it's going to all fall apart. Let's learn from Solomon on what doesn't work. His focus got off the Lord, started building his own kingdoms. A little leaven came in, leavened the whole lump. A little sin came in. All of a sudden, now the flesh is mixed with the spirit, and that does not work. Because the flesh will never be satisfied in any way whatsoever. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about this before we move on here with our other points? Okay. That kind of ends Second Chronicles 8. Now, we have one good point here in 2 Chronicles 9, and we need to hit this real quick. In 2 Chronicles 9, it is a very interesting story. There's a woman by the name of the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba decides to visit Solomon. Verse 1, Now, when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions. Having a very great retinue, camels and boar spices, golden abundance and precious stones, when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Now, one commentator I read said this would be about a 75-day journey on camel. That does not sound like a lot of fun. 75-day journey on camel, but she cared that much. She heard his fame. Verse 2, so Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. I would love to have sat in on those, wouldn't you have? Just to see. Somehow, and I don't know where this happened, but we have been training ourselves from a historical perspective that we're getting smarter as time goes on. To me, it almost seems like because of the curse, we're getting dumber as time goes on. Technology just seems to mask that. This man Solomon was amazing, living thousands of years ago. Would you not have just loved to sit and just listen to his proverbs and his wisdom? The Bible says he wrote songs, he wrote proverbs. He did all of this. No question was too difficult. Verse 3, And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. It literally took her breath away. Verse 5, Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are those your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who is delighted in you, setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made your king over them to do justice and righteousness. Isn't that fascinating? So you've got to remember, the God of the Old Testament was still interested in evangelism. He cared for the world. Now, the difference is this. We are called to go out. That is what we're supposed to do. When we get together on Sundays or when we get together on Wednesdays, you know what we call it. It's like a little bit of a staff meeting. We're going to give you an opportunity for corporate worship. We're going to give you an opportunity for fellowship. We're going to give you service opportunities, Bible study opportunities. And we're going to give you a time to be uplifted and encouraged and to grow with the understanding of now go do something. Go represent Christ. Go out. Back in the Old Testament... The temple in Jerusalem was the center of everything. And the whole idea was, come. 
So she comes, she hears about God. Now what is she going to do with that? We know from other examples in the Old Testament that when these people came and really understood who God was, they went back. Think of like Naaman. Naaman came, was healed, and he went back to Syria representing the Lord. So she comes and she is so moved, so touched by what has happened here. What is she going to do with that information? Can you go with me to Matthew 12, please? Matthew 12. Matthew chapter 12. Interesting story here, but I hope you see the tie-in point. Verse 38. Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Look at verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Guess what happened to this queen of Sheba? She got saved. We'll get to see her in heaven. Now, why will we get to see her in heaven? Because she was so touched and moved by what God did in Solomon's life, it impacted her and impacted her to the point of belief. Now, stay here in Matthew 12. Just move your hand back just a couple chapters to Matthew 5. Just remind you of this one verse. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to encourage you. To never allow what you would consider little mundane conversations or little mundane run-ins with people to become of no importance to you. Every, every time you are out in this world, you are representing Jesus Christ. That means every conversation you have with a uh, gal at the register, with a waitress or a waiter or the person you're waiting in line with, every opportunity there to glorify God and point people towards Jesus Christ. The problem is we are so used to just living our life that never goes through our mind. I want you to change the way you think and I want you to change the way you think of ministry. I want you to do this. Not legalistically. I want this to become part of your heart. When you're getting ready to go pump gas, Lord, let there be somebody beside me that I can talk to about you. Just start praying that way. When you start going into Walmart, Lord, whatever line I go into, let there be somebody in front of me or behind me, somebody that I can start up a conversation about you. Lord, while I'm waiting at the DMV, let there be somebody I can talk to about that. Because just like this woman just wanted to go see Solomon, she wanted to go see Solomon's glory, and she walked away with the relationship with Jehovah, and now she's going to be in heaven. Do not let the common everyday life events just become nothingness to you. Now, here's the problem. Some of you don't like people, and you don't like talking to people. So when you get in line at Walmart, you don't want to talk to the person in front of you or behind you. And when you get in the line at the store, you don't really want to talk to the cashier. You just want to check out and go, right? And when you pump gas, you just want to get back in your car, right? The truth of that is, that's a very inward-focused reality. 
Because, Lord, what happens if that has an opportunity to represent you? And what happens if I truly look at absolutely everything I do as a mission field experience? All of a sudden, doesn't life become a little bit more meaningful? Everything becomes meaningful. From this point forward, every conversation I have in the back of my mind, Lord, are you going to come up? And if so, how can I talk about you? Everything I do, there's an opportunity to represent you. Let my light so shine before men that they may see my good works and glorify God. Because it's never about glorifying you. As we talked about at the beginning of this study, Solomon spent so much time and energy building his kingdom. And as he focused on himself, he then started to compromise. If you focus on yourself and just pleasing yourself, you're never going to have joy and peace. Because look at our verse again. Well, it was up there. You know, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. You're only going to find real satisfaction when you start looking at it through the lens of everybody else. That's when you'll finally start finding real satisfaction. And this queen of the south, this queen of Sheba that just kind of pops in out of nowhere. And if we didn't have that reference in the book of Matthew, we probably wouldn't spend that much time talking about her. But she came, saw the glory, and was so moved by it. Wow, God, that's what I want. Next thing you know, we're going to see her in heaven. Last passage to go to, Ecclesiastes 12, please. Ecclesiastes 12. Anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything here before we go on? Ecclesiastes 12. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and I actually highly encourage you to read it, you have to remember as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of a man who knows what he should be doing, but he's not. You're reading this perspective of a man who knows God, but is not living like it. So Ecclesiastes comes across as a very depressed, discouraging book. So and as you read this, you're kind of stopping. You say, this kind of brings me down. Well, isn't that the truth? If you know God and you know him personally, you have a relationship with Christ, but you don't live that way in the world, you'll never have joy. You'll never have peace. You never will. There will always be a part of you wanting to go deeper with the Lord, followed by a part of you that says, I just want to feed my flesh. And you'll never find any peace or contentment with any of that. How does... How does Solomon here sum this up? Verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 12. And moreover, because the preacher, Solomon, was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the sum up of everything, people. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Boy, does not sum it all up. Solomon says, the final conclusion I can come to after spending my whole life with the most wisdom that any man has ever had, after spending my whole life fulfilling every desire of the flesh I could want, with food and drink and women and whatever, after knowing everything, I still sum it up, what's the best advice I can give you? Fear God and keep His commandments. Now, real quick, back to Corinthians, which I mentioned at the beginning of the message. These Old Testament people were given to us as an example. 
an example of what not to do and an example of what to do. Are you going to have to learn the hard way? Or can you stop and say, okay, Lord, Solomon lived it. Solomon failed with it. Solomon suffered with it. I don't need to chase after my own kingdom anymore. I don't have to chase after anything else but you. I want to seek the Lord with all my heart and his righteousness. Because that's really all that matters. And then when I look at my life, not as a life of trying to please me, not as a life of trying to make me feel good, but a life of representing Christ in all I say and do, I'm telling you right now, that is where you will find joy. That's where you'll find peace. And to be honest, that is where you will find purpose. I have noticed that sometimes the most crazy seasons of my life where ministry is going all over the place and I don't have time to think about me are some of the most joyful times I have. Because when I have time to think about me, guess what happens? I will never be satisfied. Never. It's got to be all about him and we can learn this from Solomon. Let's finish this up. Second Chronicles chapter 9, please. We've already covered verses 13 through 28 back in Kings, where we talked about all of his wealth, everything that he had. The guy had everything. Verse 22 sums it up. King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. He had anything he wanted. Verse 29. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, first and last, are they not written in the book of Nathan, the prophet, and the prophecy of Asia, the Shilonite, and the visions of Ido, the seer concerning Jeroboam, the son of Nebat? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. Solomon rested with his followers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. From this point forward, Israel's a mess. The reign of Solomon is Israel's brief, very brief tenure as being the kingdom of kingdoms in all the world. From this point forward, starting in chapter 10, everything just completely, utterly falls to pieces. But for this brief moment, Israel is blessed. But in that midst of blessing, we still see a man battle the flesh, battle the spirit there. Hope we can learn from that. Anybody got any final questions, comments here about anything before we go ahead and close up? All righty. Let's pray then. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, I just pray for all of us here that our heart would have a heart of just wanting to surrender to surrender everything to you. Lord, help us to look at every moment of our life as a ministry opportunity to represent you to a fallen world. Sometimes that's with words, sometimes that's with actions, sometimes that's just with the quiet witness of peace. But Lord, we want to find joy and fulfillment in you. Forgive us for feeding the flesh and help us to feed the spirit. Lord, help us to learn from Solomon that it's not about our kingdoms. It's not about Harvest Fellowship. It's not about anything, Lord. It's about Jesus Christ. Help us to remember that and all that we say and do and to represent you to a dying world through words and actions and deeds. Thank you for being a God of grace and mercy and love. Help us to leave this room and to go live it and all that we do and say, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in your name. Amen. Hey, you guys are free to go. If you guys have anything you want to pray about, come up and grab me. Be more than willing to pray with you. But you guys have a good evening and God bless.